The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to this edition of Stockhead's Rock Yarn. I'm your host, Peter Strachan. Over the past year, Stockhead has presented a wide range of companies and projects involved in a low-carbon and energy-efficient future. We spoke with Professor Ray Wills about smart power grids as weather-dependent power generation amps up, and we spoke to Dr John Rolls about his hydrogen storage technology and to Redflow's Tim Harris and Simon Hackett about the company's flow battery technology and the rollout and the impact of, of that on electric vehicles might have on, in the mix overall. Uh, we've also spoken to graphene technology companies, Talga and First Graphene, about their projects to develop superior lithium-ion battery anodes. And, of course, we've spoken about the impact that more demand for lithium-ion batteries will have on the markets for lithium and nickel. Today, we'll examine an energy-efficient, low-carbon technology being rolled out by Melbourne-based ASX-listed company Kalina Power. To guide us through the story, we are delighted to welcome the company's Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer Ross McLaughlin uh, to this Stockhead podcast. So, uh, Ross, can you first begin by just describing to the listener how the Kalina technology works and what it can achieve? Sure. Peter, it's great to talk with you again today. Um, Yeah, the Kalina the Kalina cycle is one of the, uh, frankly, one of the only three power cycles that is in use uh, around the world today. Of course, for many, many decades, of course, we've all been familiar with the steam cycle, which of course means when you boil water with uh, sources of, of heat from coal or from natural gas, uh, you can generate sufficient steam to drive a turbine that makes electricity. In fact, even nuclear power essentially is doing the same thing. It's using nuclear power to create steam, to drive a turbine, to make electricity. And that fundamental technology has been around for some time. Um, our chief competitor uh, in, in, the, in the industry today is a company called Ormat. They're about a $3.7 billion company trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And they commercialized a, a new cycle called Organic Rankin Cycle. And what that does is it takes lower temperature heat that is not sufficient to be able to boil water, but sufficient to boil what they would call a working fluid. And the working fluid in their case is butane or pentane. And that then creates a vapor in a closed loop environment. And that vapor is sufficient, similar to steam, to drive a turbine to make electricity. And we do exactly the same thing, except we use a different working fluid. We don't use pentane or butane because we find it, frankly, they're a little bit hazardous materials to use. We use a mixture of ammonia and water. And when Dr. Kalina figured this out, he basically understood that because ammonia and water have a similar molecular weight, he can adjust or we can adjust the concentrations of ammonia and water to vary the boiling temperature of the working fluid and therefore maximize the amount of energy and electricity we can produce from any given heat source. So whether that be the heat source coming off of a steel plant or a cement plant, or the excess heat that comes off of a gas turbine that's producing electricity, or, or whether it's a geothermal source. Any of these 
heat sources, which are available from industrial processes or even naturally, are literally going and, and they're wasted. And that's why the, the industry is called the Waste Heat to Power Industry, WHP, estimated at about $38 billion market by the U.S. Department of Energy. It's a massive market. It's a massive opportunity to make zero emissions power. And of course, our competitors doing a very good job at it, focusing on one particular industry in geothermal. We have a real big heads up advantage across a range of industries. And that's why we're in the business we are. Yeah. So how much more power generation can be delivered by a cleaner cycle for the same amount of heat input compared to, say, standard rank and cycle technologies? I hate to give you the answer, which is it depends, <laughs> because, be, be, because there are certain instances where I would argue that we're frankly about the same. But there are many instances where we are significantly better. And, and I'll give you two examples, uh, and I don't want to pretend to be an expert in thermodynamics, and this, this interview is not meant to explore thermodynamics. But essentially what you're looking at is wherever there's very low sources of heat, we have a significant competitive advantage over organic Rankin cycle, meaning we can make more power with even lower boiling temperatures or lower sources of waste heat. That's one area. And the second area, it, meaning we can actually make electricity. So it, it's a function of us making electricity where they may not be making any. That's really what I'm trying to say. And in other instances, particularly when you look at northern climates where you have very cold temperatures, the difference between the ambient outside temperature and the heat source, that's called the delta T in thermodynamics. That big delta T difference is where we have a significant advantage. So for example, off of a gas turbine, we can make about an extra 40% power, um, more power off from that gas turbine, which is probably an efficiency factor of about 30 to 40% more than what organic Rankine cycle can do. Wow. So that's quite a big, uh, a big uh, boost for anyone who's got a, a heat source and they're wanting to, you know, you can get 25, 30, 40% more electric energy generation from the same heat source. You, you're clearly using a much more efficient uh, technology. With your ammonia water mixture, are there any materials handling challenges that comes with that, uh, Ross? Well, there sure are. I mean, there are things which, uh, uh, of course, you have to engineer anything properly. Things have to be engineered properly. But may I tell you that, frankly, even if you're working with the steam Rankine cycle, you ha there, are, there, there are absolutely uh, materials that you have to be careful about when you engineer even just conventional steam Rankine. So in any industrial process like this, you have to be extremely smart and careful uh, and know exactly how you properly engineer what it is you're doing. And that's what makes us unique. We understand our technology extremely well. Uh, we have the benefit of having built 16 plants around the world for the last 20 years, which have uh, been a tremendous source of a learning experience, if nothing else. Uh, and many of the examples of where we've had plants up and operating for well over 10, 15 years operating beautifully were examples of where things were engineered properly, taking an, a, a proper approach at understanding what materials have to be used what what modifications need to be done in order for it to work effectively but that's really no different that and that's no different than organic ranking cycle they do the same thing they take the they take the time to properly engineer their technology as well that's good, Ross, because um, that was my next question, really, and, and and it shows that this is not a some sort of experimental technology or something. It's actually out there, proved and operating. Can, so can you give us some examples of where and in what application the technology is currently operating around the world and, and where it's best suited 
uh, for application. Yeah, your audience, Peter, might be uh, uh, might be interested to know that for those of us that have been around the power industry, I mean, we've all known about the cleanness cycle for many, many years. I mean, it, 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 there's no denying that it's had its ups and downs and its trials and tribulations as a result of its uh, past uh, management team and past uh, past uh, uh, iterations in terms of identifying the right markets and identifying the right business model. But one of the great things that all of our predecessors did before our new team came on board is they were able to go out and get this technology applied in about five different applications, ranging from geothermal to petrochemical waste heat off of a petrochemical plant, off of to an, uh, cement plants, the waste heat that comes off of cement plants, to a, to a, a range of about five different what we call industrial waste heat applications and several geothermal applications. And they did that at different sizes, anywhere from around one or two megawatts all the way up to about eight megawatts. They've done this across the world in different jurisdictions. And that's one of the tremendous things. It also actually, I think, does point to the fact that it does need a more focused model, which is what we're doing right now. We're very, very focused. We're not going after every market and every application. But that experience has been tremendous because when Siemens built three plants in Germany in the geothermal applications, they all went beautifully well. They're all flawlessly operating. When 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 Chioda Engineers, one of the largest engineering companies, EPC firms in all of Asia out of Japan, built the plants at, at Fuji Oil and Sumitomo Metals uh, and, and, and other projects that were in Japan. All of those projects worked flawlessly well. That's because those are great examples of really solid engineering companies working with our experts who understood our technology properly with a proper collaboration to deploy it effectively. So the, the technology has been proven to work not just in one application, but in multiple applications. And what we're doing right now is picking one of those applications and making multiples of them work in a repeated, robust fashion in a targeted market. Sort of cookie cutter approach. And what I like about the technology is that you could, you know, apply it to a glass manufacturing plant or a brick maker and just capture waste heat there and just make, you know, one or two megawatts of power to, to run your factory. So it seems to be from an environmental point of view, very, uh, you know, very appropriate for the, for the times we're in. There's no doubt that you and I would see that from a, from a, from a high level perspective. But you know what's happening right now, Peter, is exactly as what you're saying is happening finally. For, the, for those of us <laughs> that have been around the environmental space for a long time, you know, a lot of these common sense, natural uh, expectations uh, just didn't happen in the timeframes we want. You know, the definition of a pioneer is often someone who's so far ahead of the market, they've got arrows in their back. And, that's and, right. And that's, yeah. how, that's how often many of us would feel. The reality today especially with the recent election, if you don't mind me just mentioning in the United States, and you can't, that's undeniable. Uh, for If anyone was denying climate change or wondering what was going to be the implications of all of this, the, the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we are seeing more and more companies mandating that the internal processes that they're deploying account for environmental standards being met. And that is starting to run out through every organization, even where it doesn't make a major difference in their business. It makes a difference in the conduct in which they're conducting their business. And we're starting to see that interest finally coming to the surface. 
Now, Kalina, yeah, Kalina, and by the way, I just want to mention, Kalina is right now with our current business model is not relying on that, but we're awfully excited about the fact that we're seeing it. Yeah, so you've got a, a, a sort of a elephant by the horns here. You've got uh, in Al, uh, you're in Canada, you're in Alberta. And can you just tell us how Colleen is planning to commercialise the technology by rolling out 30 megawatt combined cycle gas turbine plants with a Kalina cycle at the back end? Sure. So, I, you know, a lot of really great appear, uh, what, what appear to be really great ideas are often old ideas that are being redeployed. When we looked at our business model and we, and we still believe that the opportunity for licensing of this technology around the world represents a massive opportunity for our company, a massive opportunity. But it's not something that we can control the timing of, nor can we control the economic outcomes of. What we realized is if we were to be able to develop our own projects in one or two applications in a concentrated area of the world where we could marshal our resources, we could establish the foundation of a very profitable and successful business, which after all, at the end of the day, as we can all understand as, public, as investors in public companies, that's what you'd like to see. You'd like to see some foundation of a company that's making some money. And where did we find that example? We found it with our major competitor. Our major competitor, Ormat, was you know, lost in the wilderness for many, many years. We all knew this in the industry. And then it wasn't until the late 1990s, early 2000s, when they got approached by infrastructure investors who said, we do not want to make investments in your company. We want to deploy our capital into your projects. And as soon as they got that opportunity, they began to deploy their own projects into the one application of geothermal. And overnight, the company became a massively successful business. What we said was, where do we have a competitive advantage? We have a competitive advantage in a northern climate because of the thermodynamics rules that I was mentioning to you earlier, where we have a team of experts. Our team is fantastic, a group of guys that we've worked with for many, many decades in Alberta, in a market in Alberta that is just legislated, legislated that coal-fired power plants are going to be taken off the market, and it's already happening right now. 5.7 gigawatts of power has to be replaced, and they're looking for, if they can't find renewables, they want cleaner power, that's for sure, and they are motivated to see the deployment of gas-fired power plants in the province, and we can tap into that opportunity in the province and provide improved, not only economic returns for those gas-fired power plants, but we could also improve the, 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 uh, the carbon footprint of each of those installations. So with a team that's embedded in, in Alberta, that knows the market extremely well, we decided to go after a market. And the market that we're going after is not the big market in Alberta, but it's what we call the regional distributed power generation opportunity, where Growing parts of the province need power. Industrial demand for power is huge. And yet the transmission system is overloaded because there is no dip, there is no generation in the, in the areas where this uh, economic activity is happening. Yeah, it's a very and, wide and extended grid. And you've got uh, people want you to stiffen up the grid and put some power in at the, at the far ends of the grid. Precisely, where, where, the, where the power is required. And where the power is required represents an opportunity for added government incentives for that power and utility incentives for that power. And that's exactly the market we're focusing on. Where there's an infrastructure 
which will not allow you to generate 100 megawatts and put it into the grid, but it will allow you to put about 30 megawatts per project into the grid. And so we've designed our plants around that 30 megawatt package design so it fits nicely into the grid without lengthy uh, regulation and permitting timeframes. It fits nicely into the grid. It meets the province's requirements, meets the grid's requirements, and can happen fast uh, in, 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 in electric, uh, sorry, in utility terms very quickly. It, it, and it just fits perfectly. And you've got cheap gas and, and, uh, and a good electricity price guaranteed. You do, well, you, and what I think what you have is you also have a growing, let's not, let's not forget this, in, in, in the province of Alberta, which is a conservatively run government, even that government has recognized and is stepping up to the demands on climate change and is stepping up to finding ways to reduce the carbon footprint in the province of this of a hugely energy intensive economy. So we have a conservative government leading the way to see progressively uh, designed uh, low carbon uh, projects that can reduce the carbon footprint in the province happening. At the same time, we have a federal government with the same a mandate in place. And all of that's happening right now. The timing is just perfect for us. So you're getting support from governments. You're getting support from the power transmission companies. And, uh, you know, you, do you get any carbon credits because of the efficiency of, of this technology? What you'll find is when you sell the power to the grid, the grid is picking up those carbon credits, okay? Oh, okay. They, they're calculating. And that's why they're giving us the credits that they're giving us. Yes, yeah. if, that, if that's a better way of putting it. When you're selling if as an internal user, let's say there's an internal user who wishes to use our project, not as part of one of our cookie cutter examples that we're using for our own projects, but when they want to use it for their own use, and we're talking to several of them that would, when they produce power for themselves, they will get the carbon credits for themselves. So just briefly, uh, Ross, what's the business model here? Now, you've, you've spoken about licensing the technology, and certainly you'll be licensing the technology here, but you also end up with a with a share of the action. You end up as a partner with a, a funding partner in this project. Yeah, so as I was trying to allude to earlier, when we saw you know, like new, really good new ideas are often just old ideas, refashioned. And what we, and what we know is that what our biggest competitor did competitor did to unleash their value was they accessed infrastructure funding to build their own project. So that's what we set out to do. And if you look at our news releases from over a year ago, you'll see a pattern of what we were doing in places like New York and Toronto, Boston, Calgary, talking to infrastructure funders who were looking to invest in projects where they could get their rate of return met. And if we could provide projects that exceeded that rate of return, that would be for us. And that would be our share. Okay. Essentially, that's, what, that's essentially what we set out to do. And we spoke to a lot and we ended up with about three term sheets from very, very, uh, very impressive outfits. But the one that we found the most compelling was a group out of Calgary formerly called uh, Grafton Funds, which formed an ESG uh, fund to start funding investments that really were environmentally progressive, reducing the carbon footprint of the economy. And they 
are real. They're a terrific partner, and and they're Calgary based. They understand the market in Calgary. They understand the energy market in Calgary. They understand the natural gas environment in, in the province, and we chose them as our infrastructure funder. So, uh, as an infrastructure funder, they provide they provide up to fifty percent of the equity in each of the projects, and their job is to arrange the debt from their other sources that they have access to. For each of the projects, which means investors in Kalina Power, people like myself and others who are investors in the company, we're not being diluted for our involvement and engagement in the projects. Our job and risk, frankly, is to develop successful projects. We develop the projects to be successful. And once we have ticked off all the bar boxes and we have all of the uh, elements properly permitted, contracted, etc., and we reach what we call full notice to proceed. The projects then go forward and Akira provides the equity and provides the debt for the rest of the projects to work. So that's, a, that's a pretty sound financial model. And you've identified multiple potential locations for these 30 megawatt sort of, you know, and again, you keep it simple because you're just building the same thing multiple times. And when do you expect to be, you know, uh, sh shovel in the ground and actually putting the first project uh, and, you know, when do you expect that to actually start happening? If, if we just judged it by the shovel in the ground, we'd already say we did it because we actually did some sound testing, Peter. So we actually had to okay. take a couple of shovels. <laughs> so I'm just yeah. teasing. But, but, but the point is, uh, we, we actually announced last week, and we're, we're proud to say we, are, we now have two projects or two locations under site control that give us access uh, uh, and, uh, to a, uh, to a long-term lease on, on on property so you'll be building uh, each, those next week next year and and, and yeah and, linking and our them plan, into the grid. And, and our plans are to get those projects to what we call full notice to proceed by the end of the first quarter of next year yep uh so that we and then once we hit full notice to proceed the way our investors should look at it that then means we as a company as a project development company have done our job and we now turn it over to our funders to fund us, we re get reimbursed our expenses, we get paid a development fee, yep. and we now have a joint interest in that project going forward without any more funding being required on each of those projects. Yeah, and power into, the power. Grid, power into the grid by what time? I would say 18 months after that point. Yeah, okay. That's that's yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Ross, I'd love to get you back again after you've gone, you know, at the end of next, uh, the first quarter, sometime in the first half of next year to really run through. Uh, by then you'll actually be putting foundations on the ground and you'll be, uh, you know, uh, you will have ordered your uh, your turbines and all of the bits and pieces and the big Meccano set will be starting to happen. So thanks for coming in today to Stockhead and explaining the story. I think it's an interesting uh, development and it's got, uh, I think, a lot of, uh, you know, some, from a financial point of view, once you've demonstrated that you can do this in Canada, then I think effectively the world is your oyster. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how the uh, technology rolls out into other applications as well. Really enjoyed this, uh, Peter, and look forward to, uh, to, to another session with you uh, sometime next year.